The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Prescription for Success with your host, Dr. Emil Haldi. Each week, we come through the myths and facts about health and wellness in order to bring you the best advice and the right information that you need to live an incredible life. Now, here is Dr. Emil Haldi. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. I'm excited about today's show. We will be taking a look inside our medical system and more specifically, the doctors who are healing us. We'll talk about doctors burnout. Yes, doctors burnout, and a lot of them are stressed and burned out. What is burnout? According to one definition I found online, burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demands. Are our doctors not able to, to meet demands of the patients? Let's talk about that. Doctors' burnout is one of the very serious consequences of the current healthcare system. Everyone agrees that our system is not working. It's not working for doctors or patients. The whole country is looking for a solution, starting from politicians to hospital executives to doctors. Why should you care about doctor burnout? Because it can significantly, yes, significantly impact doctor-patient relationship which in my opinion is sacred. When a doctor is experiencing a burnout, it can lead to really bad outcomes and decisions and poor doctor-patient relationship. This is why quite often I hear from my patients, my doctor doesn't care. Maybe they do and maybe they care quite a bit. They're just burnt out. Burnout is a major issue among physicians. The equivalent of one doctor per day commits suicide in the United States. Imagine this, one doctor per day, the highest suicide rate for any profession. I work with a lot of physicians, and I regularly see huge, yes, huge physician burnout with my doctor colleagues. I see it in their body language. I hear it in private conversations and over dinner. This is reality, ladies and gentlemen. Our doctors are burned out. This is just one symptom of the healthcare system that needs fixing and healing. My guest today is a very special and unique doctor. Dr. Jessica Way is a board-certified OBGYN doctor who left her private practice for over, of over 13 years to create the women's functional medicine practice. To improve her own health and her patient's health, Dr. Way decided to quit her job and embark on a new educational journey. Dr. Way completed a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine she also completed the Functional Medicine Mentorship and obtained certification with the Institute of Functional Medicine. Dr. Wei recently published, released her book, Quit Your Job as a Doctor Stat, where she's sharing her story with other colleagues who are facing serious health issues and burnout and offers a path towards a life of true joy and satisfaction. Dr. Wei, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> Welcome. We're going to have a great discussion. This is such an important topic, and I see it so often, but no one speaks about it. So you're one of very few people who went publicly with your story, and I'm so grateful that you did, and that we will have an eye-opening discussion today. So 
we talk about health issues uh, on this show and in general from the patient's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Today, we, I want to talk from the doctor's perspective, but doctors are humans too. Yes, they uh, are. And, and they need to be cared for and loved. And uh, tell us about your personal and professional journey. What were some struggles along the way uh, as you face, you face as a practicing traditional OBGYN doctor? Yeah, so I'll just start by saying that I always wanted to be a doctor. Like if you would ask me when I was growing up what I wanted to do, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Is in my head that that was the way that I wanted to help other people and serve. And so it was on the, on the forefront of my thinking pretty much my whole life. And, and I think I actually, if I could go as far as saying I was born to be a physician, okay? Like I have this, this disposition. And so, you know, I embarked on the journey of becoming a doctor, right? I was pre-med and then I took the MCATs and then I got into medical school and, and I completed medical school. And, and it, it sounds like, like that, like that, like that, but mm-hmm. it's quite a process, which in and of itself has its own level of overwhelm and pressure and and all of those things and then there was OBGYN residency and um, you know we're it's very necessary for our doctors in training to complete residency programs uh, to get the training necessary to practice medicine well and the fact of the matter is residency training is actually very very brutal And I don't think, I think some people have some idea that, you know, they've heard maybe that medical residency training is very challenging. But imagine this, you know, I actually worked in the era where there was not this 80-hour work week for residents, right? Now there's this mandated 80-hour work week, right? As if 80 hours is okay. Um, (laughs) That's 80 hours in a week. That's double what a traditional person is working. At least in the U.S., Right. So when I was in residency, there were weeks where I was in the hospital, maybe about 120 hours a week. Now, there's only 168 hours in a week. So that means 75% of my time I was in the hospital or in the clinic. 75% of the, you know, that means I was at home only 25% of the time, right? And so that alone, that alone says a lot, right? But never mind the fact that you are training to be a physician, which is super important. So you really need to be alert and all that, but you're not sleeping, right? You're always attending to, in my case, you know, in surgical training, you're attending to emergencies and deliveries and things always coming at you very, very quickly. And while I am extremely grateful for my residency training because it allowed me to become an obstetrician gynecologist, it was, it was very challenging because your your needs as a human being become completely subsumed for the care of your patients. And I think in a temporary kind of situation, that's okay. But when it's chronically, that's day in, day out your life, and you're spending 100 or 120 hours at the hospital, it really does something to your psyche, you know. And if you already have some tendency towards depression or anxiety, then it just, it really deepens that. So for me, while it was challenging at the time and I I was starting to have some symptoms of depression during residency training, what would happen is, and 
I mean no disrespect to my residency director, <laughs> but I would come in and he would do a review with me and he'd be like, Jesse, you know, you're not showing up for this or you're not showing up for that or, you know, and he said, you seem depressed, but you know, you really need to do this and you need to do that. Like there was some acknowledgement that I was having, having some trouble, but it was more that you need to do, you know, you need to show up, you need to show up. And I was showing up. It wasn't that I wasn't showing up, you know, but, um, there's just an incredible amount of pressure. Yeah. To- so I want to give you a tremendous kudos that for you to, to go out publicly, to talk about something that's unspoken uh, generally yeah. in the medical system, maybe among doctors, maybe among health practitioners, we know and discuss that. But many patients are not aware how hard, how intense this training is. It's absolutely intense and brutal. And every physician uh, goes through it. It's, it's sort of the, uh, the boot camp, right? And you have to go through it. At least that's the way it's considered to be. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely blown away that you say that you're born to be a physician. Kudos to you for that and saying it out loud. And I know we spoke before the show started and, and I, you, you are, you're loving what you do as a physician. So it's, it's, uh, it's amazing uh, that you're coming out. You're becoming vulnerable and you, uh, as one of the thought leaders in the arena, Brene Brown says, you are, not, uh, you are now in the arena, right? You're becoming vulnerable so others could hear your story. So I know it's difficult for you to share, but I want to say kudos I honor you for doing that. This is really, really uh, special. For our listeners, we have an international crowd uh, listening to us as well, international audience. U.S. physicians have to obtain a bachelor's degree, and then they obtain a medical doctor degree. So that's eight years of schooling right after high school. And then after that, depending on specialty, you have to do a residency uh, and or a fellowship. And an OBGYN residency, I believe, is four years. Am right. I correct? Yes. So that's 12 years of schooling uh, before you could go on your own and uh, become a fully practicing uh, independent physician. So this is a, a very heavy, involved training. Yes, it is. And, you know, and of course, it's, it's necessary, right? The responsibility that a doctor has is immense. So then there's that, right? There's that carrying around of that responsibility for the well-being of your patients. And so there's just, it's, it's very demanding. It's very demanding. And that being said, I, you know, I feel very privileged to have a medical degree and to practice medicine and to have the relationships and the, you know, the, the sharing of stories with patients. Um, and it took its toll. So, you know, I, during residency, I was, you know, I actually, so in my third year of medical school, but already it started before residency, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind of anytime you are systematically kind of going against yourself or you feel out of alignment with yourself, it can cause depression, right? Because you're not really doing what you want to do. You're kind of always showing up and doing things sometimes that you don't want to do. And um, so for me, you know, I started to see a psychiatrist when I was in my third year of medical school. And so then, you know, it didn't get, (laughs) it was probably, if you would ask me, what is the prescription for Jessie at the time for her depression? It wasn't an antidepressant. It was probably to take a break, right? And maybe take a break and then do residency training or something of that sort. And so, um, so in residency, you know, I, I continued on and I, at that time to deal with the stress, I started a meditation practice. I started going to yoga ashrams. I started, and that helped. It did help. Um, but still, and 
it was still very stressful. I got married during my third year of residency. I had my first two sons who are 15 and 16, amazing, amazing children. So I had my first son during my fourth year of residency. So to even compound that, so for female physicians or female physicians in training who decide to start a family and become a mother, then there's even more. It's already stressful enough, right, to actually, well, you know, have be carrying a baby and to be growing a baby and then to have the responsibilities of residency on top of it. So, um, you know, it's not that it was all bad. You know, there were very, there was a lot of of goodness in my training and my, and all the things that I learned and all the relationships with patients. So that's really what allowed me to continue. Right. You know, of course I had my family and, and then I, I went into private practice and so take um, us through that 13 yes. year history of uh, practice that you, you left behind. Tell us yes. the, what happened after you left residency. Yeah. So I, I became, um, I joined a private practice mm-hmm. and I specifically chose this practice because I would have been one of six doctors taking call because I wanted to have a life at home with my family. However, within, I think, about three years, it was only four of us taking call. So to define it for our listeners, uh, when a yes. doctor is on call, uh, yes. I, I'll let Dr. Way correct me, but I have enough friends, uh, physicians. Yes. So uh, if, especially if you know OBGYN physicians, it could be 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, yes. get a phone call that your patient is delivering a baby and uh, you have to get up put on your clothes, scrubs most likely, mm-hmm. and here you go. And then uh, you deliver the baby at six in the morning, even though you left your house at two, and mm-hmm. then you go to your office and start seeing patients at nine, and you only got two hours of sleep. Right, so right. So that, that pretty much defines it, right? It does. So yeah, taking call in my situation was 24 hours of being the, the first doctor to, to be called to take care of patients within your practice. And for an OBGYN, often that involves getting up in the middle of the night to go to the hospital to deliver babies or to attend to um, women who are coming to the emergency room with like true blue emergencies. And so, um, so I started my practice. I had my second son within the first year of my practice. So I, so now I was a mom, you know, with two babies and a private practice. And, you know, I, I just want to say that, you know, that transition from residency to becoming then an attending physician at the hospital, that's also a very stressful transition because when you're in residency, you're surrounded, right, by by attending physicians and other, other people who, to support you. And in my case, I went into private practice at a hospital that didn't have a residency program. Mm-hmm. So when I was on call, I was it. And so you then have to step into this persona of, Dr. Way, right? And, and you're the one who's in charge and you're the one who everybody's relying on to make the right decision. So there's that level of stress with things as well. And so, um, but I, I, I loved my practice. I loved my patients. I really enjoyed my relationships with my patients. However, you know, increasingly with taking call and it took a toll on my family life. I ended up getting a divorce when my children were very young and they were four and six. And so then I was a single mom. (laughs) And uh, so those parts of my story may be different than other people's people's stories, but it's the chronic, the constant demand on your time. You know, you can do some things. And so, you know, I started to do some things for myself, right. In terms of yoga and exercise and things like that. And that helped, it helps to have things for yourself. But when you're 
always, always answering to the needs of other people, which you are as a doctor and then certainly as a parent, there's something that happens where you begin to, you know, it erodes your sense of well-being, right, slowly and surely. And certainly, you know, we would never tell one of our patients not to sleep, right? Right. (laughs) And yet this is systematically what we're doing. It's interesting that we tell our patients to get enough sleep and also to get good food. And when I uh, work with physicians, when I spend time with them, that's one thing they're not getting. Definitely most physicians are not getting enough sleep. And most physicians eat on the run because the system uh, is not set up for them to have a 30-minute lunch or an hour lunch. They just have 10 to 15 minutes to grab something. So uh, definitely, I totally understand them. Uh, how it's constantly, uh, even constantly not meeting those demands because most physicians are achieve, super achievers. Yes, they, they are. Serve. Most physicians went into medicine to serve. Yes. And when you realize that you are not able to do that regularly, there are inconsistencies, then when, that's when you enter as danger zone, I think. It's the first, uh, I would say there are three levels. First, you're, you're in your okay zone or zone that's working for you. Then you occasionally enter into the overwhelm Mm-hmm. And most people do in any profession, and it happens everywhere. Yes. If you stay in overwhelm long enough where, uh, with a significant percentage of time, then after a while you enter a danger zone when you s- sort of really don't care. Uh, right. or, or, or you care with, with your head, but uh, you, in reality, it, your actions do not support that because you're not taking care of yourself. Right. I'd say that I definitely entered into that third zone of overwhelm, but I'll have to say that I always, I always, always, always cared about my patients. You know, I always yes. wanted the very best for them. And that's why I pursued an, a fellowship in integrative medicine while I was still uh, practicing in OBGYN because I, I realized, because so that's the other thing that mm-hmm. becomes, when you become more and more aware that you're not quite providing what your patients really truly need, then that becomes another stressor for you because you're like, well, wait, this conventional model, and this is what happened to me, is I, this isn't enough. And actually maybe some of the things that I was taught to, to do, maybe these actually create some harm. And so I, that's why I pursued the fellowship in integrative medicine. But meanwhile, you know, I was going through my own treatment as a patient. Right. right. Like I had this emotional illness, right? The depression. And so I continued care with a psychiatrist and a therapist. And because I wanted to, I wanted to do what I could do to take care of myself so that I could show up for my family and for my patients, right? And I noticed that I didn't include in that to show up for myself because that really wasn't in the equation anymore. What was it? I was a mom and I was a doctor. And so what I discovered in my own travels through the conventional medical approach to depression was that, of course, I was offered medication, right? And that's a very, you know, antidepressants, as you know, very, very commonly prescribed for things that even other than depression, right? And so, and I'll have to say that maybe in some ways it was somewhat helpful, but most of the time it would be helpful for maybe a few weeks and then not helpful. And so my psychiatrist cycled me into more and more serious medications. And um, 
it didn't really help because like, as I said, like at the end of medical school, probably the right prescription was for me to take a break and to take Mm -hmm. care of myself. But in this machine of being a doctor and having all these responsibilities at home, you begin to believe that you really can't take a break. Like you really can't stop. You know, you begin to believe that. And, um, so one of the medic- so honestly, one of the medications I was placed on, you know, you always hear these warnings about suicidality with med- with antidepressants, mm-hmm. and you know, I was already really having a hard time struggling with my mood, and um, you know, I had done different things like diet and exercise and meditation, yoga, and I was still having a hard time, right? And so I was placed on this medication, and I slowly became less and less talkative, less and less engaged, and I noticed it, but I almost this is kind of where I entered into that place of not caring. I mean, I still showed up for my patients, but one day my office manager pulled me into her office and she said, well, one of your doc, one of your patients actually complained, which was none of my patients ever had complained yeah. to anybody about me. Right. And she said, she said this year, you didn't really talk to her very much. And she's just a little bit concerned. And are you okay? And, you know, I, I just kept pushing through. I said, yeah, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> like, I'm fine. <laughs> and walked out the door. But the thing was that I was becoming increasingly more considering, like, I, I just can't be here anymore. I can't do this anymore. This is too much. And um, so finally, uh, it was May of 2012, I came home and one of my friends said, you are really off. Like, I really need, I think you should call your doctor. And so I was, I was voluntary, voluntarily hospitalized for my depression and my thoughts of, of harming myself. And I was in the hospital for nine days and my physician had been chomping at the bit to prescribe lithium to me because she was convinced I had bipolar disorder. Mm. So the label she'd given me and, uh, it's a pretty awful experience, you know, for somebody who it's not the right answer, but it's the answer that's offered very often, right? In the United States is to give medication to hospitalize. And yet you'll see people not get, they don't get well. Right. And they become part of the system. Unfortunately, it's very easy to get become part of the system. One of the things that I uh, promote on the show is that we, even healthcare practitioners as patients, we have to be the CEO of our health. Yes. Work with a physician, work with your practitioner, but drive it, drive it forward together. And I'm glad that you looked at a choice and you said, maybe it's not the best choice for me. Uh, the, the lithium that you mentioned, or, 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 and you made a switch. So, uh, and you, 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 you took a hard stop. It's, I, I yeah. did because what happened after, so the interesting thing was I was on a fair, I was, I was placed on a very high dose. Within nine days, they dosed me to 1200 milligrams, which is an extremely large dose. And I was also placed on other medications and I, I was released from the hospital and I, at that time I was forced to take 12 weeks off from work and I was still having a hard time. You know, I was still having massive anxiety this medication was not addressing what was actually happening with me and so in the book that i wrote i said you can never really find solutions unless you start asking the right questions and the right questions weren't being asked and nor was i questioning 
all of that. But I did, what happened was I started to have some symptoms of my liver not working very well. And I started to have a very strong tremor in my hand. And at that time, we still had paper charts. So my handwriting was very shaky. And I had explosively inflammatory nodules of acne all over my face. And I told the psychiatrist, I'm coming off this medication. It's not the right choice for me. It's not helping. And so I took myself off the medication. And um, But it continued, though. You know, it, I continued on in the same way. And I'll say it again. Really, the right prescription at the time was to take myself out of that situation. You know, my book is called Quit Your Job as a Dr. Stat. And you're like, oh, quit. Like, how can I be a quitter, right? Like, how can I admit that I'm failing? And that's not what it is. It's about you. A person needs to remove themselves from, and to say battlefield sounds really like maybe an overstatement, but it is like that. It is like that because it's unrelenting pressure. And, um, and so that's what I ultimately, what was, what helped me was to to quit my job, but I did stay for quite some time after yeah. that. Well, because I for recognizing that you need to remove yourself from the battlefield, because it's so often that we, in any profession, yes, uh, we get caught up in this. That, that yes. we are, we, I'm not going to fail. You know, it's I just need to persevere. I just need to go forward. But sometimes you just need to take a stop and say, "What am I doing? Is this helping me? Is this working for me or working against me?" And if you know, on the airplane, they always tell you. If there's a lack of pressure, yes. the mask will appear magically in front of you, right. put it on yourself first, yes. and then put it on a person next to you, right? First, right. serve yourself. Right. And uh, in business, this call, they, they call this concept escalation of negative commitment. When you made a wrong decision, you know it's not working, and you go forward, <laughs> and so right. I'll make it work. And right. we do this. All of us do this in, in life as well. When we yes. know you better stop and, and, and uh, make a pivot or think about this, see what your heart desires truly. And there are always, always solutions. And you said, ask yourself the right questions. How powerful it is. Life is not uh, necessarily what's happening to you, but it's about what you make of it. Ask yourself the right questions. How do I pivot? How do I make my life move in the right directions? And I'm so glad that you were asking yourself the right questions to pivot your life in the, in the very new direction, which is functional medicine and integrated medicine. Right, exactly. So, you know, I... To that point, you know, and, and part of the pivot was, you know, even during this time when I was seeing the psychiatrist, right, I was changing the way I was eating and I was exercising, doing all these things to take care of myself. And I realized, you know, at a point that I had chosen all of this, right? Like I had chosen this path. I had chosen to be an OBGYN. I chose that all of these were my own choices. So what new choices could I make, you know? And so that really became the right question for me to ask, like, what choices do I actually have? Because I think often, for many of us, we think that we can't do something, but it's more that we won't, you know, because we're, we're concerned about the consequences if we move out of that toxic relationship or we quit our job or what is going to be the financial implications. And one might think, well, you probably as a doctor had a lot of money and this and that, and so it was easy for you to quit, but it wasn't easy for me to quit. I was a single mom. I was the breadwinner for my, my family, you know? And so that was, it wasn't an easy decision for me. I would have loved to have had somebody to lean on financially, right. you know, to, to help take care of things. But the whole thing is that we always, always have choices, no matter whether we have the courage to make a different choice. 
I, I absolutely love it. We all always have a choice. In fact, your life is a choice. Your choice, uh, the decisions you make will take you in the direction that you decide to go. Yeah. Uh, I had a guest in the previous show, Barry Shore, and he, he said, your life is a choice, not a chance. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how tough it is for you right now. And I definitely understand that we, we as humans sometimes enter very tough situations. We always, always have a choice. And uh, I think we need to remind ourselves, whatever your situation is, stop for a second. Think about this and say, is this situation serving me long-term or not? And l- literally meditate on this with, with yourself privately for a few moments. And I assure you, if the, the answer will come from your heart. Uh, yes. Very, very powerful, Dr. Wei. Thank you so much for sharing such a uh, unique, inspiring, touching story. We'll uh, we'll continue after the break. We'll go even deeper into your professional and personal journey. We'll talk about integrative and functional medicine and what it means to you, what it means to patients. We'll be right back after these messages. Great. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Halde Pharmaceutical Compounding is one of the nation's top compounding pharmacies. We work with medical professionals as well as consumers, both human and veterinary. If you're a patient or a doctor and need to consult us, please call us for a free consultation. Additionally, you may purchase carefully selected quality brand supplements and vitamins at discounted prices at hcompound.com. To schedule a personalized consultation with Dr. Haldi or one of our associates, please email us at wellness at hcompound.com or call us at 646-650-5040. You can also check us out at hcompound.com. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Prescription for Success. If you'd like to reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wellness at hcompound.com. Now back to Prescription for Success. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. Today, I'm here with an amazing guest. Dr. Jessica Wei is an OBGYN and functional medicine doctor. To learn more about Dr. Wei, please visit her website at jessicawei.com. MD.com. That's Jessica WEIMD.com. To learn more about Haldi Pharmaceutical or to sign up for a consultation with us, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email me at wellness at hcompound.com. 
And to my listeners, give me a shout out on social media and tell me which topics you want me to discuss at the next, uh, for the next show. So before the break, we had a really fascinating open discussion with Dr. Wei about her journey, her medical career journey, her personal journey, some of the health challenges that you've experienced. And you were kind enough and open enough to share because a lot of physicians are experiencing these challenges. Becoming a physician is a noble, an amazing thing to do, but it's a very challenging growth. Anywhere from 11 plus years, and some people, some people dedicate probably up to 15 years after high school to become a qualified caring physician. So a tremendous story you shared. And, and I know during the break, we talked about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That it takes a lot of courage to become vulnerable. And uh, it's truly, truly inspiring. And we touched on the thought leader in the field who talks about, about vulnerability, but also shame. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Brene Brown mentions, if you don't do vulnerability. Some people say, oh, I just don't become vulnerable. Vulnerability does you. And that's when we suffer. And that's when we actually don't live our true purpose. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because when we have shame about something and we don't believe that other people will relate to our experience, that actually isolates us quite a bit. You know, and so the power of telling, so the power, like, I really, I, I didn't have any intention necessarily to be very public about my own story. I don't really have any need for people to know about that. The only reason I really wrote the book was because I thought that it was very important to step out, tell my story, so that other people would, might have the courage to admit they're having a problem, you know, and to, you know, it's not that I didn't seek help. What really is important is actually having some sense that other people understand. Yes. And see you, right? And so in telling our stories, we create community. And someone else might say, oh, wow, I'm feeling that way too. You know, and I experience that too. You know, and so when we, when we develop that, then we realize that we can depend on each other, right? We, we don't have to be silent and alone and feel like, oh, my goodness, there's no way that this is going to get better. And there's no way I'm going to tell anybody else about what's happening with me. And this is, this is especially true among physicians because we have this idea. And I wouldn't say that I, we have this idea that we need to show up, right, as an authority because we want our patients to trust us. Right. And so that's very important. But the thing is, is that if we don't address the behind the scenes burnout in some kind of way that is helpful and meaningful, then we can't show up for our patients fully in the ways that we really are obligated to, you know. And so, um, so yeah, being vulnerable, telling your story it's actually very powerful, right? It's a very powerful thing that we can do to come into community with each other and say, look, something needs to change in this, in this system. You know, how is this going to change? How can we change things in medical training? How can we change things in residency training? How can we change things for doctors and private practice? So it's not just the pressures of being with the patient. It's now the electronic medical record, right? It's, 
administrators, because doctors are not business people, right? So and medicine has become a business, right? So there are administrators who are dictating what doctors need to do and what kind of productivity they need to have and all of these things that have nothing to do with the person who's sitting in front of that doctor, you know? And so there's all these distractors and then so then increasing stressors on that physician. And that's what leads even more to, to the burnout situation that we have. Stress and burnout. So how different it is to practice uh, medicine as a functional medicine practitioner versus traditional practice practitioner? And also define for our listeners, what is functional medicine? Mm-hmm. So uh, functional medicine is an approach to uh, when you're an approach to when you're not feeling well with symptoms, right? So in conventional medicine, when you come into the doctor and you present them with the the different facets of your story and the symptoms that you're experiencing, usually what's a what the remedy is is usually some kind of medication to deal with that symptom or even a procedure or a surgery. In functional medicine, what we do is we want to explore what is the underlying reason why that symptom is showing up in your body. Because anytime you are sick in any kind of way, whether it's emotional illness or physical illness, it's a sign of some kind of imbalance in the body. And often it involves many different things because everything is interdependent within our body. right? And so functional medicine takes a look at the underlying reasons why somebody might be having a problem. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's something that you might not, you know, you might not think about. So for example, if somebody has a thyroid, low functioning thyroid, like hypothyroidism, right? And they're given, traditionally given a medication called Synthroid, right? Yet there's so many people out there with hypothyroidism who don't feel a lot of relief with Synthroid. And it's because just replacing the, the hormone alone, is not enough, right? What is the cause? And often people have autoimmunity, right? That's underlying their thyroid condition. And guess what, right? That autoimmunity is related to gut function. And so in conventional medicine, we would never say to someone, oh, well, maybe we need to do a stool test to look at why your thyroid's not functioning well. And yet it's all interconnected. If somebody has antibodies to the thyroid or Hashimoto's and they remove gluten and dairy and those things that are causing some kind of sensitivity within their body and that attack on the thyroid, then it's, this is actually my own story too. I don't, I had Hashimoto's. I don't, that label of Hashimoto's. I had antibodies in my blood and I took out gluten and dairy and I just checked my thyroid function a few months ago. Perfect. No antibodies. It's reversed. It's reversed, right? It's gone. That doesn't happen in conventional medicine because if you just give a medication and don't explore the causes, then you'll never really, really actually come to the solution. So functional medicine looks at those root causes and then attends to those root causes or those root imbalances that are happening in the body. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I do a lot of work with functional medicine practitioners. It's probably one of my uh, most favorite uh, areas of medicine because I've seen so many miracles. And as a compounding pharmacist, we compound various types of hormones and we compound some formulations for autoimmune conditions. And we make some IVs for uh, uh, many patients who have mineral imbalances or some other conditions. So it's a tremendous pleasure for me when I work with functional medicine doctors because I see people literally waking up as, uh, after being asleep, and I mean it respectfully, uh, because when you're not feeling well, some parts of you are, are asleep, right. uh, waking up and, and loving life. And I strongly right. believe we as human beings are designed to live a happy, 
and healthy life. Yes. And a healthy body is designed to be in a happy mode most of the time. Of course, we have down periods. But if you are healthy, you are in a happy mode. You're full of energy. Uh, You want to enjoy life and wake up every morning jumping out of bed. By the way, uh, Dr. Wei and I, we have a video going here. And your energy shifted, Dr. Wei, when we started talking about functional medicine. So this (laughs) is real. Uh, this is authentic and real that I know you love what you do because I definitely saw how your energy shifted when you, when you became a, a, a practitioner for a second, talking about what is functional sure, medicine. How it's sure. working for you. So kudos to you for that. So what are the shortcomings of uh, conventional medical practice today? Oh, where do I begin? I'm <laughs> <laughs> basic level, you know, again, I mentioned this earlier that what we're taught in medical school is that you need, when someone comes into you, you just sign a diagnosis, right? A label to what, what they're having. And then that label dictates what you're going to do for that patient. And often that means prescribing some kind of medication. And again, maybe like, for example, if somebody comes in to me as a gynecologist and they have heavy menstrual periods that are very crampy and painful, you know, one of the main things I was taught to do is to prescribe birth control pills or if it's persistent enough. And, and for me in my practice, if I took someone to the operating room, it's because I had tried everything else, you know? Um, But you know, the, the woman might end up with a hysterectomy. Right. And, and so conventional medicine falls short because it doesn't actually get to the reason why that woman's having heavy periods. Right. So now we know that it has to do a lot with hormonal balance, which has a lot to do with everything else balance, right? Your digestive capacity, your detoxification capacity, all of those things interrelated. And then when you use those, when you use that data that you collect um, on a person's hormonal status, their digestive status, like lo and behold, there's something going on in the gut that has to do with the estrogen metabolism, right? Like there's all these things going on. And if you don't investigate, then you're never really going to offer your patient what they really, really need. And so that's a major shortcoming, right, of conventional medicine is that we're not really looking, we're, we're not looking to address the true reason why someone's having the troubles that they're having. Um, and the other thing about conventional medicine is that, you know, we rely so much on pharmaceuticals, right? So pharmaceutical companies have their own self-interest, right? Yeah. And it's an insurance-based program, um, insurance-based care largely in the United States, right? And so insurance companies have their own self-interest. And so the whole enterprise of practicing medicine and serving patients becomes so muddied because there's there are things going on that probably shouldn't enter into the equation, right? And so um, that's part of what limits the delivery of medicine and conventional care as well. Yeah, it's, it's uh, amazing. I spoke uh, to an integrative dentist over the weekend, and uh, he was presenting at a conference that we both attended. And we talked about unspoken pressures that doctors have and dentists. Mm-hmm. You're part of the insurance model. Sure. Uh, because with the insurance model, you have to see a certain number of patients an hour or per day in order to pay your bills and to survive. And this unspoken pressure really guides the decision-making process for a lot of physicians because yes. they know that if they see patients that have nine minutes, 15 minutes, their waiting room is going to be backed up. 
their office manager is going to be unhappy and uh, they will get uh, negative reviews or complaints or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that model is not set up for success for a patient or for a doctor. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what made you decide to write your book, Quit Your Job as a Doctor, STAT? <laughs> <laughs> And, and stat for our listeners means right away, immediately. <laughs> immediately. Stat means it's an emergency. That's right. So um, I wrote the book because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, f- I really do believe that by telling my story first and then guiding people through the steps that I took to leave my job as a a conventional doctor, that that can be a very, um, that can be very helpful for others who maybe know that they want to leave because it's just, it's really just too much. It's affecting their health. It's affecting their family life, you know, but then they just don't quite think that they can, you know, then we, I deal with certain, uh, deal with concepts like our limiting beliefs, and becoming comfortable with uncertainty. And what is it that we need to do to actually make those decisions? How do we equip ourselves to make those decisions that we know that we that will be good for us, but we, are, we might have some fear around around that? Yeah. So why is it important for, str- for doctors who are struggling with burnout or stress to share their stories? Mm. So telling stories is very powerful, right? And yeah. Change can only really come about when when the problem is evident, right? If the problem is not evident and we, we don't talk about it and we don't bring it to the surface, then things will just continue to worsen. And why is that important? If your doctor is stressed and burned out and is being pressured by insurance companies and, and, and administrators and all these things, all these external things that that actually sometimes have nothing to do with medical practice, then your doctor's bandwidth or their ability to actually listen and really be present becomes a lot more limited. And so then you add to the limits of conventional care because you're not looking at the root causes of problems. And then you have a doctor in front of you who doesn't actually have too much curiosity about what you're saying, but really just feels a lot of pressure to somehow give you something right to get you out of the office right to write the prescription or da 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 and then move on and move on and move on to the next patient and of course it's an exaggeration i'm yeah. sure that that's not the case for every single physician in the united states but it's it's not too uncommon or far from the truth i was talking with a functional medicine colleague yesterday who is an internal medicine doctor and she told me that she never went beyond working two to three days a week because those two to three days a week were actually was more than enough. Like she couldn't get past because it was the, the pressures and how she just became more and more narrow in her ability to show up. And so that's why she broke free and she now is in, in her own practice. Um, practicing functional medicine and she's so much more happy and she's able to show up fully for her patients and well and first of all for herself first right and then for her patients that's right put that mask on yourself first and then (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) so uh we agree that there's epidemic of burnout and, and stress with physicians but let's look at it collectively how do we collectively look at it and what is it 
do to our healthcare system overall? What are your thoughts? Because it, it's, it's not individual doctors. It's systemic. I think a large majority of doctors are either stressed, which is quite regular, or worse, overwhelmed and, right. and, and burned out. What's the impact on our system? Well, in a, in a system that's already not really meeting the needs of patients, and, you know, you and I know this because we, we you know, we talk to patients who say to us, you know, my doctor doesn't really hear me or see me or when I say that I'm having a problem or that my say like the example I used earlier that the synthroid's not working mm -hmm. you know they don't have any other solutions for me and so when a doctor or when an individual or human being is burned out they really don't they don't have any they don't have any space again and, this is, and so the impact is that we just have a healthcare system that's increasingly I mean I think it's going to get to a crisis crisis situation where it's not tenable anymore right the healthcare costs are increasing but the health of our nation is not increasing right people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker and and it's not and then our doctors are getting sicker right so it's right. not a situation that's going to hold or be uh, sustainable for for very long yeah, I, I would agree with that. So we talked about the system. Let's talk about individual level. On the individual level, mm -hmm. what do you recommend to an overwhelmed doctor or stressed doctor to help themselves? So if they don't want to leave their job, at the very least, give your body and mind and spirit a break. Like if you're, especially if you were in the situation where I was, where I was extremely depressed and um you know, on the verge of really just not wanting to engage with my life anymore, you really do need to get yourself off the battlefield, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean you need to quit your job. It means, though, that in order to have any clarity about what you want to do, you have to turn, in the book I say, turn down the volume on all of the, that input that's coming in. Otherwise, you can't, you won't have the wherewithal to, to make the right decisions for yourself. So as hard as that is, right, you know, so I, I had a colleague who was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she, she really didn't want, she wanted to take the, the minimal time off, you know, because she didn't want to be a burden, right, to practice partners or to, and so she had surgery, but was really right back at work, you know, within a week, and then was still taking call and um, seeing patients through her radiation treatment, and she was extremely fatigued and all that, but she just felt so much pressure, like, I, who's going to see my patients, who's going to, you know, I can't be a burden to my partners, and in the long run, you know, uh, it's, when you continue to do that, you, again, you can't show up, you cannot show up in the way that you intended, you know, and that's what I had to ask myself, am I showing up the way that I intended as a physician? If I wanted to grow up and to be a doctor, am I actually doing what I said I was going to do? Yeah. So. So what are some of the practical steps if you would give three points to a physician? And I'm sure we have physician listeners. I'm sure quite a few of them are relating to your message and, and they're stressed and they're working really hard while caring about their patients. Because the, almost every practitioner, physician, PA, nurse practitioners, they really deeply care about their patients. 
Uh, of course well, they do. Yes. Yeah, that's why they went into medicine and, and to be, uh, that's why right. they're practitioners. Why do you think, uh, uh, let's roll back a little bit. Give us three things that one can do. Mm-hmm. You say take yourself out of the battle, but what are the practical things? Let's go give them practical advice. Right, right. Well, so let's talk about body, mind, mind spirit. You know, take some steps to take care of your physical body, right? And if they, you're having any symptoms of illness, I'd say go and find a good functional medicine practitioner and work with them. I do talk about this in the book. Mm-hmm. Because once you get your physical body, you know, you get your, you're absorbing nutrients properly and you gave your physical body in a better place and you can think more clearly, right? And so then we get to mind. And so just number, the second thing would just be to step back and pause and have some curiosity about what is going on in your life, you know, and just to take a look back and step and say, wow, is this make an honest, have an honest assessment about where things are in your life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, and talk about it, you know, talk about it with your family, talk about it with your colleagues and let people know that, that this is something that is that you are having a hard time with. And you'll be surprised, actually, first of all, how many other people are struggling with the same thing. And then also, how much people really do care about you. Yeah. Wow. Very true and very, very uh, powerful what you're sharing. So this, is, this has been a tremendous discussion. Uh, but we have only a couple moments left of our show. Yes. And I want to give you an opportunity uh, to impart some wisdom and to share your, your final thoughts with our physician audience and also with our patient audience. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I think for all of us as a human being, you know, we, we need to know that we're constantly making choices in our life. And that means that we always have the freedom to choose a path for ourselves that, that will truly be uh, happy and joyful. And I can only say that this is another reason why I wrote the book. If I went from somebody who wanted to be off this earth to somebody who can show up and be joyful and especially for my kids, like especially for my my two boys, Ben and David, so important to me, then, um, you know, then you can do it too. Everybody can make these choices. I, I love it. Happy and joyful. Let's work towards that. Wow, this has yes. been a, a really interesting and powerful discussion that I know our listeners are, are loving. So thank you so much, Dr. Wei, for your kindness, for your openness, uh, for sharing your story. This is very special. Ladies and gentlemen, this makes it a show. Uh, if you'd like to connect with Dr. Wei, feel free to connect with her through her website, jessicawaymd.com. To learn more about Healthy Pharmaceutical, to sign up for a consultation, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email me at wellness.hcompound.com. If you want to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life, you need to be the CEO of your health. You need to be guided by an amazing practitioner, but it's your life, you lead it. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be happy and healthy. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Prescription for Success. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Emil Haldi, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of the program. Have a great and healthy week.